Well, listen, let me tell you what we're going to do today. Um, I had a decision to make if I was going to go straight back into the Gospel of John, and I just decided to wait one more week, if that's okay, or actually a couple. I knew that next week we'll have a little bit of an abbreviated service out at the park. Um, We're doing some stuff that weekend as well with our children's ministry. So I thought if I get back into John, the next week is church in the park. I'd, I'd wait on that. Then, So make a long story short, I will launch us back in on the Gospel of John. We're at the end of chapter 1 on August 30th, August 30th. And so what I wanted to do for our time, if I may, this morning is just take you one step further than where we were last week, okay? We, we decided to, I, it was a communion service about three weeks back, and I did an entire message on the doctrine of justification and how important that was and what that means to be justified. And then last week, or yes, last week, I did the relationship between justification and sanctification, and I'll explain those words in just a moment, but I wasn't able to finish. And so I thought that maybe uh, this week we can just come back and touch in on the area that I did not get to last week, namely, as you can see it there on the title in the bulletin on the sermon notes, is progressive sanctification. Now, that's you know, maybe that's a big word. I don't know if that's a big, big word. It's a, it's a biblical word. I will explain that in just a moment. But no doubt at Grace Church of the Valley, we are committed to a biblical, uh, we would say, soteriology. That just means a biblical view of salvation. In other words, we don't just believe that people come to Christ and that's it. A biblical view would see that thing as fully orbed, if you will, as revealed in the Word of God. And so as part of that salvation in which God has redeemed us is the doctrine of sanctification. Now, if you're looking and searching for a word, that is just the word for holiness. Holiness and sanctification is part of our salvation. In other words, he doesn't just save you from your sins, that he does, but he also sanctifies you and puts you in a process where you're becoming more holy. It was the great scholar J.I. Packer who said that the present day believers find, he said, holiness passe. In other words, you don't hear much about this doctrine anymore. You don't hear much about sanctification. And he cited three reasons why he believed the doctrine or that you find holiness passe. Is he said, number one, we don't hear preaching on it. And I kind of agree with him. In other words, you don't hear preaching on it. There's very few books being written on holiness. And you say, well, Scott, why is that? Well, uh, you don't want to offend anybody is why. I mean, you don't want anybody to be comfortable or uncomfortable in the church. So, yeah, holiness, maybe we ought to just leave that for, you know, the the committed Christians. And so, Packer said there's not much written on it. Secondly, regarding holiness as passe, he says, we do not assist upon it in our leaders. And that is just so true. The struggle with holiness is a struggle within leadership 
and elders and pastors. And so we're afraid to say anything on it. Number three, interesting that Packer said this is we don't speak on holiness and personal evangelism. I mean, right, if you were sharing with someone, you would very rarely tell tell them that, hey, God is going to demand a holy life. And, And partly so because we don't want to blur the doctrine of justification and salvation being by grace. However, Packer's right, it's found nowhere in even in our evangelism. Even though before King Agrippa, Paul preached to him on self-control. But these are things, as Packer would say, are passe. So what we've been doing is studying those doctrines of justification and sanctification. Now, we said all along, and you can listen to all of these all line, online, they need to be distinguished, justification and sanctification, and yet we said they're never separated. In fact, John Calvin, the great church father, said those gifts, justification and sanctification, he says those gifts of grace go together as if tied by an inseparable bond so that if anyone tries to separate them, he is, in a sense, Calvin said, tearing Christ to pieces. In other words, you can't separate justification from sanctification. Kevin DeYoung, fine young scholar, said, both, speaking of justification and sanctification, are gifts of God, ours by virtue of our union with Christ. Both are necessary for salvation, justification being the roots and sanctification being the fruits. And he gave that oft-quoted statement, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. And so we cannot separate these doctrines, and yet they're, they're distinguishable. Now, the first question we asked, and we'll ask a lot of questions, is what is justification? What is justification? And you go back, we laid that out clearly, I did, the last two weeks. But we said that justification is a divine declaration of the sinner righteous in God's sight. What a a statement. I mean, we see that word all over in Romans 3, justified by faith, justified by faith. It is God's declaration of a sinner being made whole or holy before God. And we spent some time saying that justification includes two things. It includes that sin is removed. And then secondly, that righteousness is added. For you to get into the presence of God, you've got to have your sins taken away. You've got to have them buried, if you will. You have to have God forgive your sins. And then in addition, you have to have righteousness added, a righteousness that you don't have, an alien righteousness that Christ lived out, that when you come to saving faith, he removes your sin, and then he puts the righteousness of Christ into your account. That's the doctrine of justification. In fact, so important is that doctrine that Martin Luther said, this is the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. It alone nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church. Luther said, without it, the church of God cannot exist one hour. He said, it is the master and prince, the Lord and ruler, and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. 
is the doctrine of justification. Sins removed, Christ's righteousness added, where you were declared righteous before God. Boy, I'll tell you, there's nothing sweeter than that. Maybe just as you sit this morning, have you been justified? That's maybe the question I just, I, I want to ask. We have so many visitors today and so many new faces coming. Have you been declared righteous by God? And, and remember we said it's monergistic. Only God can do that. Only God can, you can't make yourself righteous. And you say, well, how do I get that? And we spoke last week on the instrument being faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you get saved, here's what's happening. God Almighty declares you righteous. God Almighty removes your sin. Now, now you say, well, I can't really see that work. No, you can't really see that. But it's a promise of God that when you express faith in Christ, He removes your sin. He no longer holds you responsible for your sin. He takes your sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. He buries your sin into the deepest part of the sea. He never will bring your sin up against, against you. That is why, remember we said, Paul said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because once you come to Christ in faith, it's almost like the gavel goes down and you're acquitted, if you will, of all your previous sin. But watch this. Justification isn't all there is to salvation. Salvation is like a beautiful diamond. It sparkles from every angle that the light might hit it. And leading out of justification is the doctrine of sanctification. Okay? What is, that's our second question, sanctification. Sanctification, I don't even know if I, if I stated this, it, it's, it's the ongoing transformation in us to make us more holy. If, if I said, just so you're clear, I'm clear. What is sanctification? It's just the Greek word hagios, if you will. And it just means to be sanctified or it means to be holy. If you said something is holy, that's what the word means. So what God does in saving you is he not only redeems you, but then he sanctifies you and you begin to grow more and more into the life of Jesus Christ. You are transformed, if you will, from one state of glory to the next, leading up to your final sanctification. But what it means, just I want to be super clear with you, and I don't really have time to unpack this. If you think this is a a light subject, which is funny that Packer said it's passe, because the word holy, the word sanctified, the word sanctification occurs over 700 times in the Word of God. Now, of course, when you think of God being holy, what, what does that mean? Something that's holy, Grace Church of the Valley, biblically, is, is always too, two-sided. It means to be separated from what is common, and then it means to be set apart unto God, to be set apart from what is earthly, and then to be set apart unto God. One of them is a negative removal, removing you out of the earthly world that you used to live in. And then the other one is proactively, positively, you are set apart under the things of God. Now, let me just give you an idea. When Moses got into the presence of God in the book of Exodus, 
God said, take off your shoes. You are on what? Holy ground. In other words, there's ground, okay? But this ground was holy. This ground was set apart from all the other ground and set apart unto God in a positive manner. They used to have holy convocations. A holy convocation was a convocation, an assembly that was set apart from what's normal, and it was dedicated unto God. There were holy Sabbaths. Some Sabbaths were holy, but then a holy Sabbath was set apart from the other ones and dedicated unto God. If you walked into the utensil, they had holy utensils in the garden. There were utensils that you used daily to eat, but then there were holy utensils, okay? Then they had the, the holy of, the, on the day of atonement, they had the holy of what? Holies. The priest would only go in there one time a year, and then at that point, grant the forgiveness of sins through the animal that would be applied there on the altar. But what happens when God redeems you is he justifies you, but listen, He then sanctifies you, okay, and he begins to renew the whole person into the likeness of God and into the likeness of Christ. If I could pinpoint it, I would say that sanctification or the doctrine of holiness enables you more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness, okay? In other words, Paul would say in Romans 8, 28, you were saved to be conformed to the image of his son. And so as I mentioned, this word's listed 700 different times. And so for Packer to say it seems passe um, would say, hey, we need to grow in this. And I would just tell you my heart for you and my heart for my own life and for our church is that we be holy, right? This is not a club that we're in. This is not a place for you or for me to cruise. This is a church of the living God where we've been redeemed and justified. But as we're justified, he leads us into the process of sanctification where we become more like Christ. Listen, this is what the Word of God says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. He said, like the Holy One who called you, he said, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In other words, you're sitting there. We're, we're corporately in worship, but I'm telling you, you're to be holy. So, pastor, what do you mean Holy set apart from sin, and dedicated unto God. In other words, every part of our words, thoughts, life, lifestyle, entertainment ought to be set apart from the Word. Just as God is holy, we're called to be holy. Look at 2 Timothy. It's up there on the screen. Paul told Timothy, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, and I like this line, and called us to a what? To a holy calling. Listen, you and I have been called to a holy calling. Beloved, when you look at the doctrine of salvation, it's not just an aisle you walk, a prayer you pray, something you sign. When you come to Christ, He causes you to be born again in your hearts and He declares you righteous, but then He sends you down this path of 
holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says this, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, separated from the world, set apart for God. Now, the Bible speaks of a sanctification or a holiness that is ours both positionally and ours progressively. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. We touched on last week that there's positional sanctification. And I took some time to talk to you about that. In other words, when you believed in Christ, you were, and I took you to all those scriptures, sanctified. In other words, it's both a position, but it's also a progressive practice. But in the position, yours at the moment of your salvation, he made you holy in his sight. Sometimes this is called in certain structures objective sanctification or definitive sanctification. Where he, you say, I didn't know all that was going on. Well, no, salvation's a miracle. And we'll spend the rest of our life learning about it. And I believe even the glory in heaven will be to continue to learn more about our Savior. But that moment when you came to Christ, you were perfect at that moment based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his righteous life and his death on the cross. And we cited scripture after scripture on that. And, and, and hold on to this and I'll move on. The reason that's so important is if you need to have your security in what Christ has done. So it's important to recognize who you are in position of what the Bible says. But then watch this. It's both a positional truth, sanctification, but it's also a process. So I'm going to bring you here to letter B is progressive sanctification, okay? In other words, it begins at salvation by position, but it is a process that God works in us and we, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit And that enables us to be more holy. Now, don't lose sight of this or it it can, well, it it could mess you up. I wasn't going to say that, but it could, (laughs) okay? That's why Bible teaching is crucial. There's no way I could live righteous without understanding these truths. There's no way you can have joy without understanding these truths. But first, before we talk about our side of progressive sanctification, let me back up and say this too is a progressive work of God. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ, he's committed to your holiness. He who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. In other words, a process started in salvation of you ever becoming more like Jesus Christ and the one who started that in his sovereignty, if you're in Christ, is going to bring it to completion. In Philippians 2.12, I think we have this up on the screen and you can, I put some of these up there just so that you might be able to write them down. It says this, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, okay? It's God who is at work in you, okay? So he's involved in this process of making you more holy. But here's the thrust of the message. Not only is God at work, 
it requires a work in believers, okay? So God is at work in you, but you also are to be active in that. You are exhorted to obey God and to be holy, okay? So not only is he at work in you, but Philippians, do we have the next slide there? Does that come up, Phil? There, uh, I don't have the next one. Just maybe leave it there. It says this, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Do you remember what Paul said? Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So let me just ask you a series of questions. Number one, they're on your outline. Who lives the Christian life? Okay. Is it you or is it God? And I'm trying to pin this in progressive sanctification. Who lives the Christian life? You or God? And the answer is what? Yes. Both are true, okay? He is at work in you, but you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? In other words, beloved, Grace Church of the Valley, you have a responsibility in this. In other words, I'm trying, when we talk about progressive, you can't get passive here. You can't say, as, the, as they used to say in that old Keswick meeting, that, to let go and let God. What you're going to find in Scripture is far from just letting go and letting God, you have a role in this. In fact, I love the way that Puritan Henry Skugel illustrated this. Here's what he said. He said, all the art and industry of man, and this is a Puritan saying this, cannot form the smallest herb or make a stalk of corn to grow in the field. Schugel said, it is the energy of nature. It is the influence of heaven which produces the effect. And then he quotes Psalm 104, it is God who causes the grass to grow for livestock, and plants to cultivate. Now, we understand that. Yet nobody will say that the labors of the farmer are useless or even unnecessary. In other words, human beings can't make grass grow. We can't wave our hands and make the land sprout fruit and vegetables. That's God's work. But what Skugel is saying is that God has ordained that the earth bring forth its produce by means of the farmer's labors. And listen, in the same way, we can't change ourselves to make ourselves more holy. Sanctification is a supernatural, sovereign work of the Spirit of God. However, God has ordained that the Spirit accomplished this work through various means, if you will. So when the Scripture commands us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is commanding us to make diligent use of the means that the Spirit employs in affecting our holiness. And so enough just to say we must never assume that His work in us is all that there is in sanctification. We are active. We are not simply to let go and let God. We have a role. We are in a battle, beloved. We are in a war against sin. So secondly then, 
How are we active then in sanctification? There's the second question. Well, in this sense, that we are exhorted over and over again to be holy, okay? We are exhorted to put on the full armor of what? God. We are exhorted to take up the sword of the what? Spirits. We are exhorted to abstain from fleshly lust. And I think I'm making this distinction. In the doctrine of justification, and I don't want to just throw out big words to you. Justification is monergistic. It's only the work of God on you. You you can't be justified. You can't declare yourself righteous. You can't do deeds of righteousness. You need to be justified in his sight. The channel of which is faith reaching out to the work of Christ on the cross to forgive you. However, in the doctrine of sanctification, it is what we would call synergistic. It is the work of God but it is also your effort working together. Do you understand, we would never say that justification is synergistic. Justification is completely a work of God alone. You access that through faith in Christ. But watch it, when you come to the doctrine of sanctification, we are at work in it, okay? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said in 12.14. He said, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, this doctrine of what we're talking about is so important that without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord, okay? And here's the assessment, is that our position in Christ leads us to practical holiness in Christ. In other words, if he sanctified you positionally, then progressively you have the responsibility to be holy. Let Let me just offer this. It would be like if you felt like you had no responsibility to be holy. It would be like a son inheriting a farm from his dad and not working it. It would be like the son saying to the dad, dad, you've done it all. In fact, dad, not only have you done it all, grandpa has done it all. And you know what, Dad? Great-grandpa, my great-grandpa did it all. So, uh, Dad, I'm not going to work the farm. Dad, if it's okay with you, I'm just kind of telling you, I'm going to get up at 9 a.m. I'm going to play Halo all night, Dad. I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to just cruise, watch movies, play video games. I want no responsibility for the farm. But, Dad, I do want the income. No, 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 no. We would say in that illustration, high privilege leads to a great responsibility. And I would say in the doctrine of salvation, our high position in Christ leads us to a holy lifestyle. Our high standing in justification leads to progressive sanctification before our God. You say, well, how aggressive is it? Well, look at these statements in Romans 12. In other words, this is a command here, okay? The command by Paul, after he's grounded us in our position in the opening five chapters, says, for 
or go back, Phil, one statement. Do not, that's a command, isn't it? Present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I love that. In other words, you have a responsibility. I have one. You say, what's the responsibility? It's a command. And the command comes to us and says, don't present your members. And when he talks about members in Romans 6, he's talking about our hands. He's talking about our eyes. He's talking about the members of our body, our feet. He says, you have a responsibility. Oh, God's justified you, but you have a command, young people, to not present the members to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness, but later there, your members to God as an instrument of for righteousness. Look at the next slide. Look at these statements. For just as you once, little sidebar comment, when you were unsaved, unredeemed, for just as you once presented your members as slaves, you were a slave to sin, to impurity and to lawlessness. In other words, you live by no law. You were, you know, there's just no law. You did whatever you want because when you're without Christ, who's telling you what to do? I mean, when you're without Christ, you might as well just say you're an atheist and pretend you're an atheist and act as there's no law, even though there is a law. So you were a slave to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's our culture. So now, he says, and here's the imperative. Here's progressive. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification. In other words, beloved, you and I have a responsibility that just as we once lived in sin and our members were given to sin, we now are, by our position in Christ, to go on to present our members as slaves to righteousness leading to the doctrine of sanctification. So maybe I could say, men, if you struggled ever with pornography in your prior life, you now have a responsibility as a believer, okay? You have a responsibility that where you lived as there was no law, now you've been redeemed by the grace of Christ. You ought to now become a slave to righteousness leading to your holiness, and you're responsible for that. This is the amazing thing. You say, Scott, is it God or is it me? Yes. God is at work in you, but you're to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and you're responsible for what you do with this body and this carcass in which you live. Look at Romans 8, 13. If by the Spirit, in other words, it's Spirit-driven, you put to death the what? It should say, plural, deeds of the body you will live. Listen, I'm just telling you, we have a responsibility You are responsible to put to death the deeds of the body. You're to kill them. In other words, you're not to flirt with the world. In other words, God's worked in you. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to bring you through whatever he does and whatever he needs to do to make you more holy. But I'm telling you, you have a responsibility by the Spirit of God to stick a fork in your sin. Okay? to put to death the deeds of the body. None of you could ever say, hey, I just couldn't handle it, Pastor. You know, I just struggled with the internet, and I still struggle with the internet, and I don't know if I could get success with it. Sure you can. Because if Christ Jesus is in you, then you are, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, commanded to put to death the deeds of the body you will live. You are well aware of the next verse in Romans 12 too. In other words, 
This is something you must do. He's telling you by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to not be squeezed into this world, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And so this is the teaching of Scripture. Go on, fill the next one. Therefore, my beloved, there you have it, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, what? With fear and trembling. So, beloved, we have a wonderful high position, but we have a wonderful responsibility, don't we? And what you do in this pattern of holiness is going to greatly affect your life. Now, of course, I could say that God only gives you a commandment for your joy, right? It's true. He only gives you a commandment that you would have the joy that he wants you to have. Look at this next verse. We could stop here and do a series on it. I promise you I won't. Um, This is the will of God. Do you want to be in the will of God? Your what? Sanctification. Now, you see that word. That's a biblical word. I told you it's just hagios. You, you could even, if you want to, I don't know if you're holding a translation that would say, this is the will of God, your holiness. So if you want to be in the will of God, okay, you would be holy. And you say, well, Scott, isn't God's sovereign will always done? No, not, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. There's two Two theological structures on the will of God. There's his sovereign will, which is always done to absolute perfection. Then there is the will of God's desire of what he would want for you that we have a part of it. So when you come to this phrase, this is the will of God, we call that his perceptive will. Okay? In other words, he wants you to be holy. But not everybody's holy, but that's his passion. And if you want to be in the will of God, that is that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. You say, what's that? Well, that would be anything that only should be enjoyed by a husband and wife in the context of marriage. So he says, if you want to be in the will of God, you'll abstain. (laughs) Go say that on a college campus. Go say that at Fresno State. Abstain from sexual immorality. And then that next verse. God has not called us for impurity, but in what? Holiness. We have a responsibility. If you'll go on to the, even the next slide, I try to put these up. Do you not know? And, and you, you say, Scott, these are strong verses. Yeah, we call these, I'll explain this to you. We call these imperatives, if, if I could say that, okay? These are commands. But the commands only come to us Because in the scripture, he's given us all the indicatives. Now, I don't want to confuse you. The indicatives is your position in Christ. What Christ has done for you. He saved you. He's redeemed you. He's adopted you. He's given you the spirit of God. That's your high position. Your high position leads to these imperatives. So when he comes, he now says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Go say that at Fresno State. Because the world says, my body is mine. What do you think the issue of abortion is? Don't tell me what to do with something inside my body. Our world glorifies the body. He says to us, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that's a little crazy phrase, who's within you. When you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. 
That's why you can grieve him. That's why you can quench him. That's why you could not be filled with the Spirit. He's inside you, if you will. In other words, he took possession, if you will, at Christ. He says, and you are not your, what? Oh, and it's not your body. I mean, this is the, this is the sin of young people today. It's my body. I'll do whatever I want. You know, when you come to Christ... He not only justifies you, he sanctifies you. He puts in your heart a desire that you don't want to be like the world. You want to be set apart from the world and set apart unto God. And one of the ways you can do that is by giving him your body. He says, look at this at the end of the verse 20. For you were bought with a what? Price. And the price is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. So then he says, glorify God in your body. And I just... Say that to you young people. You have a responsibility. 2 Corinthians 7.1, we all do. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you, Peter says, as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He tells us there. You can see it. It's what we call the imperative. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. Do you see that high responsibility we have? I just used the illustration of the dad or the, the son with his dad on the farm. It, it'd be like, dad, I'm just going to get up at 9 or 10 and uh, dad, I'm going to only cast my shadow on my farm maybe once a week. And I'm just going to kind of give it to my ranch manager. And I, no, no, no. We all have a responsibility and we have one there to abstain from the passions of the flesh and, and so forth. The next slide. I mean, there's just so many of these. For this reason, Second Peter 1, 5. What does it say there? Make every what? effort. Make every effort. You may be older in this flock. You have a huge responsibility. You say, well, Scott, I'm just resting in the gospel. Yeah, I want you to rest in the gospel. But you have a huge responsibility if you're a grandfather or a grandmother to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue your virtue and knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. I remember, I think it was J.I. Packer, who on his 80th birthday said, I check every six months in my life to see if the fruit of the Spirit is more apparent in me than the previous six months. That's how I want to be, you know? Romans 13, 14, just an exhortation to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no, what? Provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think you can just see what I'm trying to give you is this progressive sanctification that we have a part in that. Put to death, it says in Colossians 3, 5, what is earthly in you? sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, and I didn't finish the statement, in Colossians 3, 5, for it is on account of these things that the wrath of God comes. So listen, beloved, we have a a real responsibility, okay? 
maybe in my mind, maybe I, this might not be a good illustration, but I think I've told you before. That think about this. Just I'll throw this one out for free. And usually if it's not my notes, it gets me in trouble. Do you, do you remember the guy I told you about? Just a dear friend of mine. And he'd drive up to his cabin. And as he was driving up to his cabin, this is in the Midwest, he would pull off the road and go into that filthy place. That's all I need to say about it, okay? And he's the guy that would go into that place, I think I shared with you, and I said, hey, they got cameras all over the place. And he's the guy that told me that he put a hat on and he put a pair of sunglasses on so that no one would know who he is. And I thought he had no recollection of the sovereignty of God who's omnipresent, who's omniscient. And so he goes incognito, stealth-like, undercover, and goes into a place that is utterly the world. You say, well, Scott, you know, what's that guy's responsibility? This, make no provision for the flesh. Don't drive up to that place. Don't pull off on that corner. Don't get off in your car. You're not to gratify your desires. I could tell him you're to put to death what therefore is earthly in you. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Look at Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be, like men, I'm just telling you, this is a command to us. It doesn't kind of look like it, but it is. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but rather giving of thanks. Beloved, we have, you understand, we have a big time responsibility. I don't have this scripture in there. I'm thinking when we exposited through there, submit yourselves to God, James 4. Resist the what? The devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, we're responsible for our life. And I just, I, I think sometimes, I, when I grew up, there was that, that comedian, Flip Wilson. <laughs> Maybe some of you remember. He had the famous line, the devil made me what? Do it. The devil doesn't make anybody do anything. Okay? You have the responsibility that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but in every temptation, he will provide you what? A way of escape. So listen, let me make this statement. You rest in the gospel. You rest in the gospel, but you never rest in your battle against sin, the flesh, and the devil. And maybe I could just say this, and this is going to come off a little bit harsh, but I say this because I love you as a shepherd. Where sanctification is absent, where there is no desire to pursue it, then there is a likelihood of not being his child in reality. Fair? Justification always leads to sanctification. And where there's no sanctification, it makes me wonder if somebody's truly been declared righteous. Listen, God has made holiness possible, but he's also given us the responsibility to do the, the walking, if you will. God works in us, and we also work. Listen, 
There's no shortcuts here, okay? Sanctification is a battle, okay? It's not easily attained. We are active, beloved, in defeating sin. Sanctification, let me just encourage you, doesn't mean perfection. Doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean that you are set apart from sin and dedicated to him as you make that effort. So here's the next question. Number three, is it possible? Is this life possible? Well, yeah, I put, I think, some scriptures up there. Elizabeth and Zacharias were both righteous before God. It's possible. What a statement if that could be said of your family. Righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. What a blessing. That's that, what a neat couple. Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man? Doesn't mean he was perfect but it means that his life was above reproach. He was an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Matthew 7, everyone who then hears these words of mine, and I like this little phrase, and does them, he will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So listen, it's possible for all, but here's the fourth question. What what means has the Lord provided to be sanctified? What, What means has he provided to be sanctified? I mean, there's much I can say here. He's given us what we call the means of grace. And maybe I'll just ballpark this. Acts chapter 2. He's given us the apostles' teaching. He's given us the word of God. He's given us fellowship. It says that in Acts 2.42. He's let us be part of the breaking of bread, which is communion. And he's exhorted us to pray. So here, when you talk about what means is God provided to be sanctified, I'm trying to help you. You say, well, how how can I be sanctified and grow in this? Through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through the Lord's table. Those are means and the spirit of God does this and works alongside us. We're sanctified by the spirit of God. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We're led by the spirit in Romans eight fourteen, And so we're energized to become more like the savior in every way. But primarily, I would say, he uses the word to sanctify us. And so I just say, men and women, are you in the word of God? Are you letting the word like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in your salvation? Jesus in that great high priestly prayer said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is what? Truth. And you say, well, what's that? That's the reading and the preaching of God's word. You've got to be in it personally. You need to attend to it corporately. I'm thinking of when Paul left the elders at Miletus in Acts 20. He said, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And so here's that progressive sanctification. And so men, I'm just asking, are those disciplines, are those means of grace part of your life? Do you pray? Do you read the scripture? Are you around the body of Christ, okay? And do you, do you have that? Because once you do, God's going to take his word. He's going to use fellowship. He's going to use the Lord's table as a means of grace. And he's going to use prayer to convey to us and grow us. 
So the means of holiness is through the word of God as we behold the person of Christ revealed in his word. Now, I want to say that Christian holiness is not behavior modification. It is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God transforming you through the Word of God into the likeness of Christ. But make no mistake about it. Paul likens it to a fight. Paul likens it to a battle. Paul called his own life a boxing match. He he said, I discipline my body. I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I should be disqualified. Listen, I think one man said, we probably work on our personal cleanliness more than we do our godliness. Is that true of you? You spend more time in the mirror? Uh, we need to. <laughs> That's not wrong, right? But I, I wonder if there's truth in that statement. Listen, young women, young mamas, you will only grow to the way that you take uh, here the means of grace. If your Bible becomes something that you grab off the back of your car because it was sitting there after the Lord's Day and then you pull it off on the Lord's Day again, you, you want to make sure that you're growing and it does take our effort, okay? You say, well, this last question, will it ever be finished in this battle, this fight, this war of dethroning pride with sin and death and discipline? And the answer is yes. Thanks for asking. Letter C, do you have that one? Here's the final one. It's uh, on the next, it's going to come up. It's final sanctification, okay? In other words, there's positional sanctification, there's progressive sanctification, there's final sanctification. So let me see if I could put this together for you so that you could see how the doctrine of salvation works. We've been saved, past tense, from sin's penalty, okay? We are, second one, we're talking about it today, being saved from sin's power. One day, we will be saved from sin's presence. Sin's presence is final sanctification. So if I put those together, just for you in a schematic, the first one is the doctrine of justification. We've been saved from sin's penalty. The second one, we are being saved from sin's power, is the doctrine of sanctification. The third one, final sanctification, we will one day be saved from sin's presence. That's glorification. Here's a way to look at it this way. Here's a chart for you. I don't want to get too charty in church, but here we go. Positional sanctification. There, past. The present is what we talked about today, progressive. The third one is future, final sanctification. That's glorification. When we see him, we shall be like him. But here under the past... We are simultaneously, okay, I think it cut off, uh, with justification is what it should say, and regeneration, okay, you could say I am or have been sanctified. You are set apart positionally from sin's penalty. In the second one, you might say I'm being sanctified. We're not perfect. We talked about that last week. It sets the believer apart from sin's power and practice. What we mean here on this one is when you came to Christ, he changed your heart. Whereas once you never wanted to please him, now you want to please him. And so he set you apart from sin's power and the practice of it so that you would walk holy. And the third one, that's fair to say, won't that be a great day? 
I will be sanctified. It sets the believer apart. This is what's radical. From sin's presence and even the what? Possibility. It's hard for me to fathom that in the glory of heaven, you will not only be completely sanctified from sin's presence, it will no longer taint you. You will be so wholly sanctified, you won't even have the possibility of sin. This is what the Lord is doing. Here, my heart for us, I believe today, all we do is talk about the first one. Very few churches, very few organizations are talking about progressive sanctification. I think Packer's right. It's passe now. Don't offend anyone. Don't, you know, state what the word says. And then we don't look to the future because I think everybody wants heaven on earth now. But this is where we're going. And this is what God is doing in our life. If you want to see that more, I'll give you a copy of that. You let me know this. Now listen, one final exhortation and we're all done. We won't have a closing song. Don't, don't lose sight that the... I had one last question. Why be holy? Why be holy? I mean, it begs itself. If you've been justified, this fight is, you know, and sanctification is hard, and there's some reasons listed there, but enough just to stop on the first one. Why be holy? Here's, here's the bottom line of Scripture. Because you love God, right? You don't obey Him to gain your salvation. You've already been declared righteous, The reason that you love God, the reason that you obey God is because you love him. And so you're focused on it in our daily life. But here we put this up there. Never make it the basis of your standing before Christ because you will never be holy enough. You will either get puffed up with pride or you will live in the pit of despair on a continual treadmill of self-righteous performance. So you have to remind yourself of your position so you don't lose the assurance of your salvation. But if you ask me, why do you, lo- why do you obey God? Here's why. The greatest motive is because you love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And don't you just want to please him? All I know is when I stand before the Lord on that final day, I want to hear, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. Hey, I want to just highlight, and we're all done, two books. You say, well, Scott, I don't, sanctified. I've, I've never even really thought about it. Well, think about it. And you might after this service say, hey, I'd, I'd like to have some, uh, let me just ask you, men, who's helping you? Who's helping you men in this? You got a problem on the computer? You, you better fix it because I'm going to tell you, it will eat you alive. You have a responsibility when you go out of here. You need to tell God and you need to speak to others. But I got two books here One is The Hole in Our Holiness by Kevin DeYoung, a great book. You say, well, Scott, I don't even know if I've ever ventured into someone else's life. All you do is go buy this book and grab another man and say, I'll meet you at Starbucks and we're going to go over Kevin DeYoung's book on holiness and he calls it The Hole in Our Holiness. Or if you want to go the big read, women, my mom just went through this, a book by Andrew Davis called An Infinite Journey. And The Infinite Journey is sanctification, but it will end when we get to Christ. But this is, a, this is like 400 pages. You could meet every week on this and it might help transform your life. But listen, you got to have people in your life 
Men's equippers will be starting coming up in September around the third week. We'll tell you more. Women, you've got to have people in your life. We don't have to organize every single aspect of it. But if you do, just grab one of those books and say, man, I need some help. I want somebody checking on my holiness. I I need to be in the Word of God, and I'm not in the Word of God. I'm better on fantasy football. It's a multi-billion dollar business. I know guys who know the stats of their wide receivers and quarterbacks better than they know the Word of God. Listen, we've got to get serious on this. And you know, you say my heart is, I just want a holy church, don't you? I, I want our kids to see holy families. I want grandparents to see children that are being raised in the things of Christ. And praise God by His Spirit, we can do it. Amen.